Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. As that bumper video reminded us, we are in a series of messages here at Asbury that we're calling Mythbusters, Lies We Tell Ourselves About the Church. And so we are taking our cue from the hit TV show Mythbusters, uh, which for the longest time was the most popular science show on television. It was on uh, TV for almost 20 years. And so on that show Mythbusters, what the hosts would do is they would take myths, and then in a controlled environment, they would try to bust the myths in order to get to the truth. And as we pointed out last week, there is at least one big difference between the TV show Mythbusters and what we're doing in the sermon series. In the TV show Mythbusters, we don't know if the myth is true or not until the very end of the episode, once the hosts perform all those different experiments. However, in the sermon series, we already know upfront going into these messages that these different statements about the church that we're looking at are lies. They're not true. And what we're doing is we're using the Bible, Scripture, to show why they're lies. And so in particular, these are the three lies that we are focusing on and trying to bust in these messages. Number one, I don't need the church. Number two, the church is about me. And then number three, it's enough just to go to church. I don't need the church. The church is about me. It's enough just to go to church. And so last Sunday morning, in the inaugural message for the series, we looked at that first lie, I don't need the church. Because There is a tendency among Christians today, especially Christians in the West, to see the church as optional in kind of a take-it-or-leave-it way. And so we made clear last week that the church is not optional. It is a necessary part of following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus. It is important for us to embrace the church. Uh, It's important for us to recognize our need for the church. Uh, We need the church, number one, because God made us for community. Community is a part of our DNA as human beings. And God uses the people of the church, as broken and imperfect and flawed as they are, um, to fill this void within us for community and to mold us and shape us into being God's people, um, push us ahead in our journey of following Jesus in this world. And then we need the church, number two, uh, because God wants to use all of us, each and every one of us, doesn't matter who we are, what our background is, God wants to use all of us to help the church fulfill its mission of the world of making disciples of Jesus, that there are specific gifts that God has built into us, there are specific passions that God has given us, and God wants us to use those gifts and passions in conjunction with the gifts and passions of other people so that the entire church is built up and the reach of Jesus goes forward in this world. So yes, we do need the church. It is important for us, as I said a second ago, to embrace the church. Well, once we do embrace the church, there's a tendency we have to embrace a second lie about the church that's just as bad and damaging as this first lie that we talked about last week. And that second lie would be this. This is probably the most pervasive lie about the church that's out there right now. Can we say this together? The church is about me. We might not say that out loud, but we live as if it's true. And so we're going to do our very best today to bust this lie. And I want to begin this sermon by acknowledging that It's really not that much of a shock 
And it's really not that much of a surprise that this lie has come to pervade the church, especially the church here in America, because as Americans, we live in a consumer-driven culture, don't we? Consumerism, it's the air that we breathe. It's the water that we drink. We have been taught and conditioned from birth to approach everything as a consumer, even the church. Um, a few years ago, I think this was back in 2018, uh, my pastor friend, uh, Vance Raines, some of you might recognize that name. Um, for the longest time, Vance was the director of the FSC Wesley Foundation. He spent a number of years ministering to college students. And more recently, um, he's been serving First United Methodist Church in downtown Orlando, not too far from here. And Vance is one of the most thoughtful persons that I know. And so back in 2018, Vance wrote this blog that I've never forgotten about. The blog is entitled, How Birthday Cakes Ruin the Church. Isn't that an interesting name for a blog? If you want to read this blog, by the way, just send me an email and I'll send a link to you. How Birthday Cakes Ruin the Church. In this blog, Vance draws a direct connection between the evolution of birthday cakes in America and our consumer-driven approach to church. For example, Vance says that 120 years ago, now none of us were around 120 years ago, but 120 years ago, late 1800s, early 1900s, let's say that somebody had a birthday that was coming up. Maybe your spouse had a birthday, a child, a neighbor of yours, a friend of yours, and you wanted a birthday cake. What would you do? Well, the first thing you would do is you would ground the grain that you grew and harvested. Anybody here know how to ground grain? And then you would go into the hen house and you would collect some eggs. You would milk the cow. Anybody ever milked a cow before? I'm 34 years old. I've never milked a cow a day in my life. And then if you needed a few more ingredients, what you would do is you would go to the general store, not the supermarket. There were no Publixes 120 years ago. There was no Aldi's or Albertsons or Winn-Dixie. Instead, you would go to the general store in your community. You would pick up those ingredients. You would come back home. Next thing, you would chop up wood. You would heat up the stove. Then you would take all those different ingredients and you would make the cake yourself. That was 120 years ago. That's a lot of work, isn't it, for a birthday cake? 60 years ago, things were a bit different. They were a little more easy. Um, you would go to the supermarket. There were supermarkets 60 years ago. And you would buy the ingredients, but you still had to make the cake yourself. Nowadays, not very many people make birthday cakes. Anybody here ever made a birthday cake before? Okay, there are some exceptions, of course. Occasionally we do this, but by and large, we don't really do this as much anymore. Why go to all the trouble of making a birthday cake when you can go to Publix Bakery and you can have the professional make it? And not only will the professional make the cake, but the professional will make the cake exactly as you like it. Because let's be honest, we all have our own preferences when it comes to cake, amen? Some of us like chocolate cake. Who here likes chocolate cake? All right, some of us like vanilla cake. Anybody like vanilla cake? Okay, like four hands are going up. Some of us like strawberry cake. Anybody? Strawberry cake? Some of us like ice cream cake. Every hand should be going up right now. How about this? Some people like vegan cake. Okay, nobody here likes vegan cake. Some people do, I, I've been told. Some of us like cake with a lot of frosting. Some of us don't want that much frosting. Some of us want a really exotic cake, over-the-top, elegant, fancy. Other folks want a more simple cake. But we all want our cake customized. We want our cake specifically made for us. And it's not just birthday cakes that we want customized. It's other things, too. Uh, for example, what is the slogan 
of the fast food restaurant chain Burger King? Have it your way. Have it whose way? You don't want to have it anybody else's way. Don't have it your son's way, your daughter's way, your husband's way, your wife's way, your friend's way. Have it your way. We want fast food done our way. We want burgers and fries done our way. And it's not just fast food that we want done our way. It's coffee, too. It wasn't that long ago that we would make coffee at home in a percolator. Anybody ever used a percolator before? All right, I'll be honest. When I first heard the word percolator, I thought it was an exercise machine. <laughs> now, instead of using a percolator, what do we do? We go to this really fancy place called Starbucks. You've probably never heard of Starbucks before. And we get our coffee order customized. As I was doing some work in the sermon, and you probably realize by now that I have way too much fun putting together sermons sometimes. It's not always this way, but sometimes I do. Well, I came across an article that listed some of the most complicated orders that Starbucks employees have ever had to fill for their customers. You want to listen to these? Okay, I guess we're interested. These are some of the most complicated orders that Starbucks employees have ever had to fill. Number one, venti iced, skinny, hazelnut macchiato, sugar-free syrup, extra shot, light ice, no whip. Number two, quad grande, non-fat, extra hot, caramel macchiato, upside down. Does anybody know what upside down means? I have no idea. Okay, Megan, we got to talk after service because I, I don't understand that one. Number three, caramel macchiato, venti skim, extra shot, extra whip, sugar-free. You want the extra whip, but you also want it sugar-free. And then number four, grande chai tea latte, three pumps, skim milk, light water, no foam, extra hot. I'll stop there. You get the point. As Vance Rains um, highlights in his blog, and again, you can read this online if you're interested, all of this has negatively affected the church. All of this has negatively impacted the church because it's taught us and conditioned us to approach church with that same mindset. No longer do we join the church because we're passionate and excited about helping the church fulfill its mission in the world, making disciples of Jesus. Instead, we join the church. Why? Out of the expectation that our needs, quote-unquote needs, are going to be met. The music is going to be the way that I like it. The parking's going to be convenient. The message is going to be the perfect length. What's the perfect length for a sermon, by the way? Somebody in the last service said 12 minutes, and I, that got me really nervous. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not happening today. And the pastor's never going to challenge me. The pastor's never going to step on my toes, make me uncomfortable, make me all antsy as I'm sitting down. The programs are going to be the things that I'm interested in. Folks, nowadays, we even use the following phrase, and, and I'll be honest, every time I hear this phrase, oh, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Church shopping. Can we please, please, please drop that phrase? What are we doing when we use the phrase church shopping? We are attaching consumer language to the bride of Jesus Christ. Listen, is it appropriate to say, I'm looking for a new church home, I'm praying about finding a new church? Absolutely, that's fine to say. But don't associate consumer language to the church. You shop for a Buick. You don't shop for the bride of Jesus. In many ways, 
our modern approach to church mirrors the TV show House Hunters. Anybody enjoy watching House Hunters? This is something that Amanda and I watch on occasion at home. And if you're not really convinced by what I'm talking about, then take a look at this clip. I think you'll be convinced. We got Dick volume. and Molly there just moved to the city and can't agree on what they want. They are young and energetic and looking for a new church home. We'll take some personality tests, tour the sites, ask some questions, and based on taste, experience, and location, we'll find them the perfect congregation. I'm Corey Clark, and welcome to Church Hunters. We're so excited to find a church. We just started dating. Um, with the churches we go to now, just not, like for us, just not really doing it for us, you know? So like, we've been doing a lot of services online, a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of preachers we do like. But we want, we want serious, yet funny. Yeah, like commanding of the stage, yet relatable. Hey guys, what's happening? I'm Corey. Good to see you. My name's Nick. This hey, is Molly. Hey guys, welcome to Church Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. So while it is traditional, it's still pretty current. Just okay. this year, the pastor started untucking his shirts. Oh, Ooh, that's wow. good. Hey, let me show you around. Okay, right, let's come on. Do it. I do love this lobby. It's a great lobby. You know, yeah. it's not too big, not too small. Yeah. Should be enough room to catch up, chat with your friends. That's all you need. But here's a great thing. There's a bunch of side exits. So if you need to leave early and catch the game, you can do that. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. No, I, First Baptist? Who names a church that anymore? I just... Not these days. We're looking no. for like a Thrive Church, maybe Relevant Church, I don't know, Radiant Church, something. The Sunday morning experience was just a little too traditional for, for us. For us. I mean, the pastor's main point, 157 characters. I can't tweet that. I really think you guys are going to love this place. I like we it. We do, we like Feels it. Great. Yeah. There's like a, a maybe for when my parents come into town yeah. for a church for Christmas, Easter type of church. Like a holiday Holidays. type church. On the next episode of Church Hunters. I think you're really going to love this place. They take relevance to a whole new level. This church identifies as interdenominational. This pastor speaks out of a brand new translation. It's the Tumblr Bible. Listen, I realize I have a robe on and I'm wearing a tie, but my shirt is untucked beneath this robe, so just uh, FYI in case you're looking for a new church home, right? We laugh, but we laugh because it's true, isn't it? That's how a lot of people approach church. And so it's worth asking the question, is this what Jesus had in mind when he established the church 2,000 years ago? Is this what Jesus had in mind on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit the third person of the Godhead came upon the church and the church was born, it's painfully ironic that this is what church has become in the 21st century here in America because it runs against everything that Scripture teaches about our faith. Our faith is not about meeting our needs. Our faith is about putting down our needs, laying aside our needs, giving up our needs for the sake of God's kingdom. Um, listen with me to what the Apostle Paul writes here in Philippians 2, uh, verses 3 and 4, this is the first scripture passage that we're going to read this morning. Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. And if that's not enough, listen to what Jesus says here in the Gospel of Matthew. This is Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, 
If any of you wants to be my follower, let's read this next part together. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. I don't hear Jesus saying, if you want to be my follower, you have to make sure that your needs get met. I hear Jesus saying, if you really want to be my disciple, you better abandon your needs. Put down your needs. And by the way, while we're on this topic, let's be honest, most of the things that we call needs when it comes to the church aren't really needs at all. They're preferences. Some of us like a certain kind of music. Is that a need? That's not a need, I would say. That's a preference. Some of us like an early service. Some of us like a later service. Is that a need? Well, unless the reason is because you're working and you have a job or maybe out of some sort of physical necessity, it's not really a need. It's a preference. Some of us like a really big church. Some of us want a smaller church. Some of us want a mid-sized church. Some of us want a church that resembles the TV show Cheers. You just come in and what happens? Everybody knows your name. Is that a need? It's not a need. That's a preference. Some of us want a church that's more traditional. Some of us want a church that's more modern, more contemporary. Is that a need? It's not a need. That's a preference. Some of us want a church where the pastors are normal. Is that a need? Somebody said yes, all right. I guess we're in trouble. I would submit that that too is a preference. Listen, we mix up needs and preferences all the time. We confuse needs and preferences all the time. All of us do this. Now, please don't mishear what I'm saying. I am not saying that we should ignore preferences altogether. If you've heard me say that today, um, please let me be clear. It's not that we should ignore preferences altogether because we are called to relate to people and we are called to meet people where they are. And so here at Asbury, we try our very best to do this. Um, on Sunday morning, we offer two services, two different times. One of them's earlier, the other's later. We offer um, two different styles of music. We also try to provide a variety of programs and events because we recognize that people connect to God in different ways. But at the end of the day, our resources are limited. Our staff is limited. Our volunteers are limited. Our budget is limited. And we can only do so much. And far too often what happens in local churches when our preferences don't get met, what do we do? Do we pitch in? Do we help out? Do we volunteer? Do we try to make things better? No, we criticize. We gossip. We grumble. We complain. Sometimes we write anonymous notes and we send those to the pastor. And I have gotten a few of those over the course of my ministry. By the way, I have a special filing cabinet for anonymous notes. It's called a garbage can. If people want to give feedback that's appropriate, that's fine, but please put your name on it, right? Sometimes what we do is we threaten that we're going to leave. If things don't change, I'm going to leave. And sometimes we follow through on those threats. Dick Wills was my pastor growing up. Um, he's now retired, lives in Lakeland. Um, but until he became a bishop, he pastored Christ Church United Methodist in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and so that's where I grew up. And Dick wrote a book called Waking to God's Dream. And our leadership team here at Asbury has been reading that book. And so if you've read the book, you, you'll know the story that I'm about to share. In that book, Dick talks about a painful moment that he came to experience while leading that congregation. This moment happened when a well-to-do gentleman who attended the church, he came up to him. Um, he was very influential, had a lot of connections there. And he said, Dick, I'm leaving the church. 
And Dick said, how come? He said, because you all have changed the music at the 9.30 service. The music used to be traditional, but they had changed it to, to uh, contemporary, and this was during the 90s when a lot of churches began to incorporate contemporary music into their service offerings, recognizing that it was helping the church to reach new people. We did that here at Asbury when we started the celebration service. Some of you will remember that. And so this guy was really upset. He, he liked the 9.30 service, and he liked the traditional music. That was the music that he grew up on. And so Dick said to him, listen, I, I hear you, I hear your frustration, but you know what? We have the 11 o'clock service, and that has all the traditional music that you enjoy. So why don't you go to that service instead? It's only an hour and a half later. The guy said, I can't do that. And Dick said, how come? Well, because I play golf at 12 noon on Sundays. I'm going to miss that. And Dick said, okay, the music is important. Golf is important. But let me tell you something. Since we started offering the music in that service, we started reaching people that we weren't reaching before. These are people living in brokenness. They're coming to experience new and resurrected life in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Don't you want to celebrate that? So would you please consider pushing your golf game back by about 15 minutes? Why don't you play golf at 12.15 on Sundays if it means that new people can come to know Jesus Christ? Won't you consider doing that? The man responded with two words. Just two words. Hell no. And then he left. He found another church in the area that had the music he liked at the time he wanted. And reflecting on that experience, Dick Wills writes these words in his book, Waking to God's Dream. So many Christians appear to have settled for so much less than a New Testament faith. The ongoing question for many church members is, what are you going to do for me? Often there's little evidence of members of a local church wanting to know how they can give their lives away for the sake of Jesus. I believe evil triumphs when good church members end up wanting the church to cater to them. We want the church to cater to us. Listen, I want the church to cater to me because of my sinfulness and my brokenness. All of us want the church to cater to us, but the church is not meant to cater to us. The church is meant to honor God. The church is meant to worship God. The church is meant to glorify God, celebrate God, and the church is meant to make disciples of Jesus. In fact, you know what the worst part is? With the consumer-driven approach to church, it causes us to neglect our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. After the resurrection, Jesus, we're told in Matthew's gospel, he got up on a mountain and he gave his followers a charge. We call this the Great Commission. Listen to what it says here, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, Jesus says, go and do what? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus then say, therefore, go and find a local church where you like the music. Therefore, go and find a church where all your needs are going to be met, your preferences are going to be filled. Instead, he said, therefore, go and make disciples. Making disciples means that we have to look beyond ourselves and out into the community. We have to actively look for the people who aren't here today, who don't know the love of Jesus like we do. And we have to recognize the reality that this church, Asbury United Methodist Church, does not primarily exist for us. This church does not exist for you or for me. Instead, this church exists for the people who aren't yet here. William Temple, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, he said it like this. This is one of my favorite quotes. The church is the only organization that exists mainly for the benefit of its non-members. What a thought-provoking statement. 
Let me ask you a question. What organization besides the church exists primarily for the people who are not members? Does LA Fitness exist for those who are not members? Does any gym exist for those who are not members? Does Disney Vacation Club exist for those who are not customers? The only organization, to my knowledge, that exists mainly for those who are not members is the church because the church is to go into all the world and make disciples, as Jesus told us. In another part of Scripture, in Matthew 16, Jesus is speaking to Peter. This is the first time that the word church ever shows up in the New Testament. What does Jesus say to Peter? You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, what's interesting about that comment is that 2,000 years ago in the ancient world, city gates were not built for offensive purposes. Why were city gates built? For defensive purposes. They were built to prevent attackers and intruders from coming inside the city. In other words, Jesus is assuming that the church is going to get up on its feet, go into hell, and rescue the people who are trapped inside. How on earth are we going to do that if we're only focused on ourselves, our wants, our needs, our wishes, our desires? Anybody here like Seinfeld? Reminds me of this one episode of Seinfeld. We got a picture of this. George Costanza who's not exactly the most selfless guy, he's attending the children's birthday party. And suddenly there's a fire that takes place in the kitchen. Maybe they're making a birthday cake. I don't know. And so somebody yells out, fire, fire. And what does George do? He pushes aside all these little children. And he pushes aside this elderly woman on a walker, and he heads straight for the door. He doesn't care about these other people. He only cares about himself. And that's exactly what we do when we adopt this notion that the church is about me. We push aside those who are spiritually helpless, who don't know the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And we say, forget about you. It's all about me. And that's why, and here's the bottom line for my sermon, that's why we need to move from being a consumer church to a missional church. And we got a graphic about this. If you can't read this, I'll read it to you. A consumer church is seen as a dispenser of religious goods and services. People come to church to be fed, to have their needs met through quality programs, and have the professionals, people like the clergy, the staff, have the professionals teach their children about God. Those who approach the church with this mindset will use the phrase, I go to church. Like I go to the gym, or I go to the grocery store. It's done from the standpoint of a consumer. A consumer church is vastly different from a missional church. A missional church is a body of people sent on mission who gather in community for worship, community encouragement, and teaching from the word in addition to what they are self-feeding. The assumption is you are doing things at home. You're reading scripture at home. You're praying at home. You're, you're doing these disciplines at home in addition to what they are self-feeding themselves throughout the week. Those who approach the church from this mindset will use the phrase, I am the church. We are the church. These two approaches to church could not be more different. My fervent and deep and abiding prayer for us here at Asbury, especially as we head into stewardship, which is going to happen in the next couple of weeks, and then as we look ahead into next year, 2022, and the future that God has for us, my prayer for all of us is that we would approach the church not as consumers, but as missionaries recognizing that what happens here in this building is not ultimately for us. It's for those who aren't here yet. It's to equip us and empower us to go out and be sent. 
We are on a mission from God. All of us are. And that mission is to make disciples of Jesus. So by the grace of the Lord, let's get to work. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Listen, I realize that was not a 12-minute sermon, and it's 12.02 right now, so I appreciate y'all hanging in there. Let's have a quick word of prayer. God, thank you for the ability to laugh. Um, and as we laugh, we do so because we're, we're poking fun at things that aren't true. But we have come to believe us true. So God, please forgive us for making the church about us. Help us to recognize the reality that in Jesus Christ you love everybody. And God, you are calling us to reach people who aren't here. So please, God, help us to put aside our needs and our preferences to join you, to partner with you in the kingdom work that you have for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.